this morning I want to wrap up this series, and I'll be honest with you, I've, I've been looking forward to this one for the whole time, because I think this really does bring it home. I think this really brings home this whole idea of parenting and our role and our responsibilities. And um, we're going to talk about something very specific here this morning. So before we do, I want to tell you about a young man. You may have heard of this guy. Uh, he's, he's mentioned in the New Testament, and his name's Timothy. And there are actually two letters to Timothy in the New Testament, both written by a guy by the name of Paul. And he writes to Timothy. And Paul is like a mentor in Timothy's life. In fact, we know from studying the life of Timothy that, that Timothy spent time traveling with Paul. Uh, they, were, they were evangelizing together. They were going out into the, the world after the death of Jesus and spreading the news of Jesus. And Paul was bringing Timothy along. And in fact, when he writes these letters to Timothy, Timothy at that point is in a city by the name of Ephesus. And he's helping to, to pilot to plant a church much like this one. So Paul's continuing on in his journey. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to stay behind and I want you to oversee this church. I'm going to write you letters of encouragement. And I'm going to help you. So if you've read any of those letters, you'll know that Timothy was a great guy doing a great job. And it would be easy to assume that the reason he was such a great guy and the reason he was doing such a great job is because he had this great man by the name of Paul who'd mentored him. Paul's kind of a legend in the New Testament. He wrote loads of the letters. He wrote almost half of the New Testament. You know, he really was a, an amazing missionary spreading the word of Jesus after the death of Jesus. So no wonder Timothy was doing so well. But you know what we discover as we read those letters? It wasn't just Paul that impacted the life of Timothy. Listen to what Paul picks up on in the second letter that he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. I love that because what Paul's saying is, listen, I see something in you. And I see that that is in you because you had this great grandmother who, who followed the faith. And her daughter, she followed the faith. And you've had these legacies, these wonderful people who have raised you and have poured into your life. And that inspires me as a dad this morning, knowing that um, legacy is such an important thing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, as I was preparing my message, I was thinking about my dad. And I was thinking about some attributes of my dad that I now see in myself as I've, as I've grown up. You know, growing up, my dad, he's a, he's a businessman. He owns his own business. So I got to watch him and I got to see him be very wise with money. He's a very wise businessman. So I, I've kind of picked up that trait from him, you know, that we're kind of, I, I kind of, um, uh, I've talked about this before, a bit of a saver, not so much of a spender, you know, I'm kind of trying to be wise with money. But at the same time, I saw a real generous spirit in my dad. I saw him, you know, really support a lot of things and give to people who are in need. So uh, I saw someone who's very wise with money, but also very generous. And, and that's something that I see in my life now as well. You know, my dad had a great sense of humor, still does. He's always cracking jokes, always making us laugh. And, and I feel like that's something that um, has been passed on to me. I feel like I've picked up on some of that sense of humor. And, and we were out just recently as a family, and I had this kind of, moment where I realized, wow, the legacy continues. We were out with Ben and Will and Emma. They're 13, 11, and 6. And Friday nights are kind of family nights at the Jane house. We, we try and have dinner together and do something together. And, and normally as we're eating dinner, we'll, we'll ask the kids questions. We'll say, how was your week at school? Um, tell us two things about your day. Tell us something that's going on. Tell us about your friends. And sometimes they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't, you know but eventually they get talking. They tell us stories. And well, this Friday night, we decided to go to Ice Cream Shack. And, and Casey sat the kids down. And she said, hey, we're going to try something different this time. Instead of 
us asking you questions. You can ask us any question you want. And they're like, just silent. They're like, I don't know. We're like, come on, you can ask us anything. Don't you want to know? You know, and, and I think Case was looking for a real deep spiritual moment there where they'd ask a really deep spiritual question that from our years of wisdom and experience, we could say, I'm so glad you've asked that. Let me explain to you what I've learned in my years. And, but this was the question Ben asks, 13. Okay, I've got a question. Which one's your favorite kid? <laughs> that was Ben's question. So we're like, wow, good question. So Casey answers. She said, Dave, he's my favorite kid. So, um, but I see that sense of humor kind of continuing on. It's, it's amazing that, you know, many of us, we inherit things from our parents. We pick up on things and we pass those on. Very often the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I want to ask you this morning, if you have children or if you one day hope to have children, what do you want your legacy to be? It's fascinating, you know, there's a a study done by a a sociologist once. He asked 50 people, 95 years and older, if you had to do it over and again, what would you do different? And one of the main things that came back from all the people he asked is, I would do more that would live on after I died. I would do more that would live on after. After I died, they, they felt that legacy we leave, the legacy we leave, is a really big deal. I remember watching a show called Minute to Win It once, and uh, I'm sure you guys have seen this show, and this particular episode was quite unique because all the contestants on the team were siblings. They were aged about 9 to, to 16, and their parents were from California. One was a fireman, one was a teacher. And um, these kids, they did really well. They were like super competitive, and they were, they were getting all the challenges right, and they got all the way through to half a million dollars. And they'd won half a million dollars, these, these five teenage kids or these five young kids of this family. And they were now going for the million-dollar round, and sadly, they didn't get it. But right before competing for the million-dollar round, they got Dad out of the audience, and they said, Hey, Dad, what do you think of your kids? You know, they're up here competing. And this is what he said. He'd, he'd looked, and he'd seen how competitive they were, and yet how cooperative they'd been. And he teared up on TV. He says, I don't care if they win the million dollars or not. I could go to my grave happy knowing that they have become the people that they are. That dad got to see something in his kids. And you could see it on his face, just that that deep feeling of satisfaction in who he had been able to help his kids become. So what do you want your legacy to be for your kids? We've been talking over the last few weeks, and if you've not been here and you'd like to kind of catch up, we have a connectwashington.org. You can go on there and you can download the sermons. You can listen on the podcasts. We've been talking about some practical behaviors. We've been talking about some cultures that we can create within our homes that will impact our kids' lives. But ultimately, I feel this all leads this morning to this question of legacy. And the stakes are super high because the truth is, And we all know this this morning. You're going to have an impact on your kid's future, whether you intend to or not. You can't not influence your kids. I'm sure that's a terrible way of phrasing it, but I think you know what I mean. You can't not have a legacy of some kind. So how do we leave a better legacy for our kids? And you know, this morning, perhaps you don't have kids. You think this conversation isn't for you. But if you ever think you might... If you, if you want to have kids, if you have grandkids or nephews or nieces, if you're friends with neighbors and they have kids, if you're a coach of a, of a team here this morning, if you're a helper out in Connect Kids, you will at some point influence the life of a child. Every one of us can play a part in this idea of legacy. 
So this morning I want to go back to a, a time when God was speaking to Moses. And I want to look at this one uh, kind of phrase that he said to Moses as we look at this idea of legacy. And I've got to be honest, as I read this, it's going to be quick to jump to conclusions and think, wow, I don't like the sound of that verse. So just stick with me. I'm going to explain what the verse means and also what it doesn't mean. So right in the middle of God talking to Moses about the Ten Commandments, he says this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 to 6. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Now, I've got to be honest, as I'm reading that, that first part sounds pretty intimidating. But here's what I want to be clear about this morning. This is not saying that God punishes your kids for things that you have done. This isn't saying that God punishes kids for what their parents do wrong. And maybe you've heard that before, but I don't believe that's what this is actually saying. What I think this is saying is that um, it's talking about how what we do affects our kids either way. For bad or good, the way we live our lives can have either a positive or a negative impact on our kids. And that can happen in many different ways. We've seen it in either our family or families we know. It could be substance abuse, manipulation, uh, other dysfunctional um, behavior that we see. And very often that can result in in repetition of, of, we'll see in a family, a parent's emotional brokenness, and that continues on into another generation, whether that be conflict, divorce, poverty, or other conditions that can make children and even grandchildren's lives difficult. And I know this morning that this is kind of heavy stuff to talk about, but let's be honest, it's real. It's very true stuff. We can't not have an impact. We can't not have some kind of legacy on our kids. So we're going to have to be intentional here this morning if we want to leave a better legacy. So let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about what I think is is going to be a twofold attack. We're going to have to stand against any negative that may have come our way, any negative that we may have come through in our own upbringing. But we're also going to have to make a decision to, to reinforce the positive and to be intentional about passing that along. So how do we break those patterns? How do we, how do we break those negatives? I think it's real simple. It's simple to understand. It's not simple to do, but it's simple to understand. That is that first we need to get clear and confess. We need to get clear and confess. And here's what I mean by that this morning. We've got to start by getting some clarity in our life. Getting some clarity on the stuff that's going to stand in the way. Those negative behaviors, those, those patterns, those traits that have, have kind of formulated who we are. Things that maybe we don't want to pass along. You know, the truth is, we, we can want the best for our kids. But what habits of ours are we already uh, in danger of passing along? Are we constantly fighting or shouting? Is our house a, a hostile place? Because your kids will pick up on that. Alternatively, and this is going to sound kind of strange, are we never fighting? You know, I heard of a couple once, a lovely young couple. They got married, and uh, just early on in their marriage, they started to fight a lot. And uh, the husband, he came and he met with the pastor. He said, listen, I think our, our, our marriage is, is doomed to fail. The pastor said, why? He goes, because we, we keep fighting. He's like, well, that's okay. You know, couples fight. You have to learn to resolve that. He goes, my parents never fought. He says, really? He goes, never. I never remember seeing my parents fight. So he went back and he asked his parents and he said, how is it that you had such a great marriage and you never fought? They said, oh, we fought. We fought all the time. We just decided we didn't want you kids to see that. 
So we'd go in another room, or we'd go outside, or we'd, we'd wait till you were in bed, and then we'd... And I think their intentions were good. They thought this would be good because our kids will never see us fighting. But what that meant is this young man grew up in an unrealistic environment. He thought, man, that's what a perfect marriage looks like because there's never any conflicts. He never got to see his parents fight. He never got to see his parents work it out and resolve that conflict. So what we do in our lives, it could be fighting. It could be not fighting. These, these things are legacy. These get passed on. Do we gossip around the meal table? Do we speak negatively of our boss or leaders in our lives? In each of our lives, there are things that maybe didn't start with us, but they can stop with us. We need to get clear with ourselves that there can be things like addictions, temper, rage, greed, obsession. It could even be something like religious legalism. We know it didn't start with us, but we also know it needs to stop with us. And what often makes this hard is that sometimes we don't even see this as, as, a, as a problematic behavior because it's become so normal to us. I had some great friends back home growing up and they got married and they were a lovely couple and they were deeply in love with each other and they're still married today. They're fantastic, but they're a passionate couple and, and they would fight a lot. They were always arguing and they, you know, I mean, we'd be out as a group. It's like, oh, it's kind of awkward, <laughs> you know, because this fight would kind of break out over here. I remember being out with him one night and we were talking. And he was just sharing some, you know, some situations at home. And he goes, you know how like when you get in that moment where you and your wife are fighting and you stand there and you're, you're shouting at each other and, and she'll like pick up a plate and she'll throw it across the room and you'll duck and it'll smash on the wall, you know, like, and I'm like, no. <laughs> and he's sharing this like, that doesn't happen in your house. I'm like, no. But to him, that was kind of normal behavior, you know. And, and sometimes we've got we to gotta get, get into this situation and say, God, give me some clarity here. Show me what's normal and show me what's just what I've kind of grown up in. Maybe to me, this was modeled from my parents. So that's, that's normal. But God, give me some clarity here. Help me figure this stuff out. We need to pray and say, God, would you show me the areas of my life? I realize it didn't start with me, but I want it to stop with me. For some clarity about what's at stake, stuff was passed on to us that shouldn't have been. And you know what? It could very easily get passed on to our kids. And if we're not willing to ask God to help reveal it, then we fall into this trap that um, a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Jeremiah says so well. He says in Jeremiah 6.14, you cannot heal a wound by saying it's not there. You cannot heal a wound by saying it's not there. We're going to have to come to the point and say, you know what? That is something that's broken. That is something that needs fixing. And the truth is, it may not have started with you, but you can make the decision this morning that it ends with you. If you'll get clarity about what those areas are, maybe what those patterns are that have affected who you are, the legacy that has has come onto you. And it doesn't end there because I feel like it's clarity and confession. Confession, there needs to be a time of, of kind of opening up, sharing this stuff. There was an author by the name of Claudia Black. She grew up in a family full of addiction. She'd seen firsthand, experienced the negative patterns in her own life. And she's written a few books. One was called It Will Never Happen to Me. One was called Changing Course. And this quote comes from that book, Changing Course. She says, the three most universal family rules in dysfunctional families are don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. And maybe you've grown up in a situation like that. You discover that families can have secrets that have been buried for years and years. And and it's because they're told, just just don't talk about it. People outside wouldn't understand. 
And when we choose not to talk to anybody about certain things, it leads us to a place where we choose not to trust anybody with our stuff. And so we stay in those same negative patterns and unhealthy, repetitive cycles. The cycle will not be stopped as long as we choose not to trust someone by saying out loud what needs to stop. You know, James, he wrote a great letter in the New Testament. One of the phrases in that letter, he says in James 5.16, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I don't think James is saying here, hey, every time you're out and about, you should just tell anyone you meet. Hey, guess what? And you start spewing it out. No, absolutely not. That would be terrible. But I do think he's saying, hey, there are people in your life that you trust. And maybe you need to just crack that door open and just share. Maybe it's visiting a counselor. Someone who you trust, who you can kind of open up to. I'm hearing some great stories from some of our small groups. We have many families here at Connect who are tied in with small groups. And we've been going now with these, this first round of small groups. We're going to start some more up here in the fall. But this first round, they're getting to that point now where people are learning to trust one another. And I'm hearing about you know, couples opening up. And, and even in our small group, we had a situation just a, a few weeks ago with a fantastic couple who we'd got to know just, just really kind of opened up and, and tearfully shared. You know, we had a pretty dysfunctional, both of us, family growing up. And the reality is we've joined this small group because we need some help. Being a family. We want to see, you guys are going to become our family. You're going to help us with, with marriage and parenting. And, and man, there was a moment there in our small group where we felt this is a, a trust moment where someone is, is kind of sharing, saying, hey, we've got some clarity and some confession here because it, it, it may not have started with us, but we want it to stop with us. We want our kids to grow up differently. So clarity and confession, they're important in breaking these negative cycles. But at the same time, it's not just about getting clarity and confessing the things that we need to stop. It's also about becoming really intentional about the things that we need to start. I want you to just think this morning, ask this question, what do I want to pass on to my kids and to my kids' kids and to my kids' kids' kids? What do I hope that they will value? What do I hope that will characterize their lives? What do I want them hopefully to get from being a part of my family? And, you know, we could talk this morning about morals and attitude and wisdom. And there are so many wonderful things as parents that we strive to instill within our kids. But can I just share with you as as the pastor here at Connect Church what I feel is the greatest legacy that we can pass on to our kids. I just feel like the greatest legacy that every one of us has the potential to pass on is that we live a life completely surrendered to Jesus. We live a life where we say, Jesus, I've messed up. I can't do this, but I recognize that with your help, I can live a better life than the life I try to live in my own strength. And I want that for me, but I want that because I know that's going to have an impact on my kids. You know, here at Connect Church, we love that you come every week. We're doing uh, the best we can with some incredible volunteers next door, instilling that legacy into your kids. But the reality is, we get them for for an hour or two a week. You get them for the rest of the week. But I want you to know that in the time we do get to see your kids, we have such a heart to see their lives change. In the last couple of weeks, we've shown a few snippets of video clips from what goes on in the K-5 through area and the preschool. I want to wrap up those video snippets this morning by letting you into the the hearts and the minds of uh, Alicia Bambrick, who's our kids director, her husband, Mike. And I want you to be able to hear their story this morning. So check out this video. 
My name is Alicia Bambrick, and I am the Children's Ministry Director for Connect Church. We have four daughters, uh, Bree, Brooke, Bailey, and Becca. And my name is Mike Bambrick. Well, actually, the story of Connect Kids started back in May of 2010. And I was sitting in a church service, and Andy King was preaching a message called History Makers. And God started to stir in my heart then that he wanted to do more with my life than what I was currently doing in the public education system. And then we, we started talking and decided just to go to one of the informational meetings about Connect, and so we did. And God just kept stirring in our hearts that that was where we're to go. And February in 2013, I was in a job in another public school working in a math enrichment program and just with kids, but not where God wanted me to be. And I, I just wasn't happy with what I was doing and kept thinking back to that history maker message and decided I wasn't going to stay with what I was doing. I was going to follow God's lead and went in that day and resigned from my job. And we were driving later that afternoon to Chicago to one of our daughter's basketball games. And Mike looked at me and he said, we're calling Dave Jane. We're all in. I enjoy most the kids. When I see the kids on Sunday morning and they're coming in smiling and they come up and they give me a hug or they're telling me stories of their week, it makes the busyness of the week worth it. And also when I hear stories from parents, I just heard a parent last week tell me that we had a family that had a tragedy in the church and he said, you guys are doing a great job with the kids because my son came home when he heard about it. He said, first thing he said was, Dad, can we pray? And when you hear that, it makes everything you do for the kids and the families worth it. One thing that I think is very important uh, as, a, as a man uh, teaching the kids about the things of God, that it's really important for guys to be involved with kids' ministry. Um, a lot of times I think it's viewed as something for the ladies to do. And, uh, and that's certainly incredibly important to have the ladies there. But I think it's, it's extremely important for the for the boys to see you know men teaching about God and talking about God and and, and being a role model. Um, it's important to, to pour into the kids' lives. If we don't, somebody else will. And I think it's important to to, to be there. And uh, it's a lot of fun. When I talk to people about joining our team, one of the things that they're most worried about is time. Every family is busy and our our lists, our to-do lists are long and they're always afraid they won't be able to be, to put in the time that it takes to serve and connect kids. And that's when I can reassure them that we provide them everything they will need to be successful on Sunday mornings. And really the most important thing is just showing up, showing up in the lives of the kids. Uh, the other thing that I hear a lot of times is that um, they feel like they might not know enough about the Bible, and so they feel inadequate to share with kids. And that's the other great thing about the Orange Curriculum. It's very clear, very easy to follow, and we all involved in Connect Kids, we kind of joke that each week God just challenges us. We're learning with the kids. I think it's just getting past the fear of time commitment and maybe not knowing all there is to know. And that's an okay thing.
There was one story that was shared with me by a small group leader. She went to her kid's school, and she went into the room, and she overheard other kids saying, Hey, that's our small group leader. Oh, yeah, that's our small group leader. And she shared with me what it did in her heart, was that it gave her an ownership she, she hadn't quite had yet, but it made her feel so good to know that those kids know who she is and know that she's speaking into their life and that she's important to them. Well, this month we're learning about endurance, so I, I asked the kids to pray for me because I missed last Sunday because I was doing my first half marathon. And, uh, uh, you know, the kids, when I came in, you know, before church was over, we made it back in time. And, uh, you know, the boys were like, I prayed for you, I prayed for you, I, I prayed for you two times. And, <laughs> and it was pretty neat that, you know, they, they, you know, they do pick it up. One of the things we say a lot in Connect Kids, and we heard it from Orange, I've read it in their books, is that a hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter in the life of a child is their relationship with God. And so we talk about how important, no matter if they're two, a baby, a fifth grader, teaching them about the relationship with God, how important it is. Kind of going piggybacks on there's too much at stake if we don't. A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter if they were a great baseball player, uh, successful in their work. And those things are important. They're important to us for our kids. But the relationship with God, if that's not there, we've not done what, what we should do. I thank God on a regular basis that he brought Mike and Alicia into our lives and into the, uh, the ministry of Connect Church. They're just a wonderful couple. They, uh, they've got a heart for kids. And, and I want you to know, especially through the series, just how hard they both work, Alicia especially, at instilling these great uh, values into the lives of your children in Connect Kids. Um, but, you know, like I said, they get to see them for a fraction of time. And obviously, in that fraction, they're making a huge difference. Your sons are praying for Mike twice, two times, to make it through that half marathon. I ran 5K yesterday. We need prayer. Seriously, I, 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 that was just 5K. So, um, but we only get them for a little bit. You guys get them. We as parents, we get them 24-7. And I've, I'm thrilled to see you all here this morning. Some of you have made a huge step closer to God in the last year. Some of you could never have imagined yourselves even visiting a church a year ago, let alone attending on a regular basis. And some of you are even enjoying it. I won't say anything. But you know, there's one thing to keep coming to church every week, but... Uh, I, I just think that idea of that, that being surrendered to Jesus, fully surrendered to Jesus, it's, it's, it's more of a lifestyle. And here's the best way I can think about it. I was trying to think of a good analogy, and I, I got this idea. We've got a few people in our church that are car salesmen, car dealers, that kind of thing. And um, if I was looking to buy a new car, I could go to the local car dealership, and I could, I could find a lovely new car. The guy would let me take it for a test drive. I could be like, man, this drives well. I like this car. He may even let me take it for an hour or two, just be out driving around town, then I bring it back. And I go home, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, I'm going to go back next weekend. I'm going to just try it one more time. I get out, I drive it around. It's such a nice car. I love driving this car. The salesman's pretty excited because he could see how much I like driving this car. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be back same time next week. I can't wait to drive this car again. And, and this could go on for weeks, maybe even months, depending on how good of a salesman this guy is or isn't. Uh, but at some point, he's going to say, hey, you know what, Mr. Jane? You could drive this car all week long. <laughs> 
there's actually a, a deal. You know, what, what's it going to take to get you into this car, I think is the phrase he might use. And, um, and he'll say, you, and I'll say, wow, that sounds good. He'll say, yeah, but I've got to be honest, there's going to be a cost. We're going to need to get your checkbook out. It's going you know, to cost you something, but I think you'll find it's worth it. Because instead of just keep coming and test driving each week, you could drive it all week long. It'll be your car to go where you want. And I think for some of us, we're, we're at that point where we, we've, we've really enjoyed being a part of Connect and we love being here, but, but we feel that kind of tug on our heart. It's not just what I'm saying. I believe it's God speaking individually to you. It's his Holy Spirit tugging at your heart saying, hey, you don't have to just drive this once a week. This could be yours. You know, after Jesus' death, Peter, one of the disciples, one of, Peter's, one of Jesus' closest friends, he became this incredible leader who helped build the church. And one day, he was speaking to a crowd about Jesus, and, and we read in Acts that 3,000 people said, I want to follow the Jesus that you're talking about. And listen to what he said to them. He said, it says that in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 38, Peter's words pierced their hearts. They said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We believe what you're saying, but what should we do? And he replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'd love to spend a lot of time unpacking that this morning, and, and I can't. So just let me just tell you here real briefly, that, that word repentance, what it literally means is a U-turn. That word repentance means to turn. You're going this direction, and you stop, and you start going this direction. It's a change in your life. And, and I think God's saying to some of us this morning, hey, you know what it's going to cost to drive that car every day for that car to belong to you? It's going to take a place, case of, of you coming to, to God and praying, saying, God, I've tried it on my own, and it's, it's just I've not been able to do it. I want to be a great parent. I want a legacy that I can pass on, and I want to live my life surrendered to your son, Jesus. I'm sorry, God, for the things I've done wrong. I've, I've messed up and I need you in my life. I want to understand what repentance means. I want to be forgiven and I want to live differently. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And I'm going to challenge you while we're singing and while we're waiting to take communion, there are cards on your, your chair. Maybe some of you this morning are saying, Dave, I'm ready. I'm ready to, I, I've been test driving for a bit too long now. I'm ready to make that decision. And there's actually a, a, a box on the card you can check and you can drop it off on your way out this morning. And if you check that box, me, or one of our leaders, we'll probably call you. We'll say, hey, can we get a cup of coffee with you? Can we talk to you? We'd love to explain more what that means to be, to be fully committed to Jesus, what that means and what we've learned in our lives, how we've kind of figured that out and how we've learned to, to follow Jesus in our lives. Help you with that. But here's why I think that's so important. I want to close out just with this last thought as the band are coming to get ready. Last Sunday morning, uh, I was in the foyer here, and uh, a friend of ours came and said, hey, did you hear? And they told me about a great man that when I first came to America about 20 years ago, I lived with this family for two or three years. This guy was a, a great godly man, and I just found out last week that he'd had a stroke, that he was in the hospital. I was like, that's terrible. But I found out that they, they'd caught it in time, and as the week went on, he was, he was getting better and better, and this was really good news. But then Thursday, we get another call saying, hey, he's, he's taking a real turn for the worse. It's really bad. So Case and I, because Case is a longtime family friend of theirs as well, we went to visit, and we got to spend some time with his wife. We got to see him, and it, 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 he wasn't looking good at that point. We prayed with them as a family, and here's what God really kind of did, knowing that I was speaking about this this week. So a little later on, I get a call from this guy's nephew, who I know, 
And uh, he's on his own spiritual journey right now. He's trying to figure some stuff out about what he believes about God. And he said, Dave, I'm really struggling with this. This guy's a good man. Why did this happen to this guy? He's a good, godly man. He'd spent some time in the room, and even though this gentleman wasn't conscious, he was just kind of talking to him and just telling him what a great uncle he'd been and how much he meant to this young man growing up. And he told me, this guy on the phone, he said, you know, I don't get it. He goes, but I talked to his wife, and she said, you you need to know, this guy prays regularly for you. He knows that you're trying to still figure things out spiritually. He's praying for you all the time. And if what he's going through right now, the pain he's going through, meant that you would come to know Jesus like he knows Jesus, he would go through it again and again and again. That's what she told this guy. I just found out this morning that that this man, he's gone to be with Jesus. And I know for a fact, because I know this guy, I know that right now he's in an incredible place in the presence of Jesus. I'm praying for his wife and his kids and his grandkids because I know that this came way too soon for them. But here's what I know, just from that conversation with one family member, this is just one of dozens and dozens and dozens of people whose this guy's legacy has touched. The way he lived his life has impacted. And I believe even sadly in his death, the story will continue on. His legacy will continue on. As we close out this series on parenting, you may not be a parent here this morning, but every one of us has that opportunity to to live a life that, that leaves a legacy. We may have issues in our life. They didn't start with us, but they can stop with us. And we can be intentional saying, I want this to continue on in my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids. My favorite part of that verse we read earlier, listen, I'm going to read it again. It says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. So third and fourth generations. But those, sorry, those are going to be, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I think what God's trying to tell us here is that the power of God is a thousand times stronger than the power of sin. The good that we can pass along is a thousand times better than any bad that we'll ever pass along. So as a dad, I'm striving to be the best dad I can be, leave the greatest legacy I can. So I'm going to ask the guys if they would come forward now. Because I know that I can't do it. Every week when I'm teaching this stuff, I know all the areas that I just really need to improve in. And I know that I'll never do it in my strength, but this morning... We're going to do something that we do once a month at Connect Church. We're going to remind ourselves that we don't have to do it in our strength. We have a loving God who sent his son Jesus to die in our place so that we can have a relationship with him. And that relationship, that partnership, that's what helped this man live and die the legacy that he did.